I'm good. Were you struggling a little bit with the technical uh, aspect of getting onto this live? Yeah. Okay. Right now. Thanks. <laughs> well, welcome, welcome. First and foremost, welcome to the the live podcast. It's a it's an absolute pleasure spending some time with you, and also for you to just share your story, um, which was so moving and touching. So, so before we get started, big thank you. And um, like I do with all my guests, not that I've had very many, but just tell me where it started. Tell us a bit about yourself and uh, we'll take it from there. Okay, great. I just want to check, can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear, yes. It's a little bit echoey, but I can hear you. Don't be sorry. (laughs) Load shedding. So, is it better when I'm here? Definitely sounds better. The clarity, the quality of the of the of the voice is much better. It does, you know, and, and I think just for the people that are watching, just to give them a bit of background, is I met um, your partner, Anton, and we were riding bikes, and when I was spending some time in the garden route, and uh, just got chatting, and then obviously he, he mentioned the story, and then coming to the house and spending some time with you, and then, you know, just listening to your experience and how you, you know, you, you spent a huge amount of time there, you know, such a long time, and and how you, you know, how, how did you find the time? The time just obviously went. You were there from such a young age. Um, yo, how did I find it being there from such a young age? It was a huge impact on my life. My life changed from one day to the next. And um, it's, uh, it's, it's difficult to explain but I basically went from being a very content child at school getting good grades Mm. loving more friends social and I was wrenched out of that to a completely other part of the country and suddenly living I I was living with my mom it was just the two of us at home and I visit my dad my parents were divorced and suddenly I was with living with like a hundred other people. Wow. Every single meal shared with a hundred more or less other people. Um, not ha- having space to myself. Not The only time I could escape and have time to myself was if I ran off into the orchards and sat in the avo tree. Sure. Um, how did you, how did you, how did you, I, how did you I find that as a child? How did personality you? Personality changed. I can imagine. I mean, it's just it's just being completely controlled, and everything was scheduled and structured. But how did you how did you manage with you know on reflection where you are now? How did you manage to deal with that at such a young age? That's such big change. Well, I did 
sure. at that young age, um, I became very rebellious and very insular. And I, there was one aspect of this that really has had a very deep impact on me. And um, it was a certain person that was part of this organization. He was actually the son of the leaders and only four years older than me. And for some reason, he took a complete dislike to me. And so I had this presence like a bully. Mm. Never touched intimidating presence all the time in my life. All the time. And everybody loved him. And he was so popular amongst everybody, except he could not stand me. And so I... I I internalized that, and eventually I thought there was something terribly wrong with me. Of course, of course. And so I was. it was jarring to be around all these people, and it was jarring to be around this one specific person that picked on me, and I had to go to school with, etc., etc. So it's strange how one person had an enormous impact on my life at that age, I'm and sure. actually all throughout until I left. So did you grow up did you grow up in a religious family before moving to to this environment? Did you grow up very religious? Uh, my mom, my mom has always been well, pretty much since I was about four she became mm. a born again Christian. Yes. And so I was very much in that charismatic environment. So I was used to hearing people praying and clapping and singing and going you know, really going for it. And my dad, on the other hand, was completely the opposite to my mom. Very, like, liberal and free and very chilled. So, uh, but both of them are artists. So I came from a bit of an artsy family. Yes. You know, it wasn't like a typical, typical nuclear family. Yeah. So I was used to a bit of oddness and unusual people and yeah and color did, did you find uh, i mean a lot of these questions i'm going to ask you you can you can say si, i'm not prepared to just answer those questions I mean, i'm just you know just it was such a fascinating story when you guys we shared that evening together and you we spoke about your experience and you know what led you to obviously getting away from this environment to living a life that you're living now, which is fascinating. You know, the complete contrast of how you used to live to how you're living now, which I'm sure has its own set of challenges. But did you find that when your mom and your dad parted ways, did your mom obviously, you know, into, you know, did she, did she lean more into the Christian faith and then got pulled into this environment? Was it, was it because of the separation? Mm. more spiritually in tune than herself 
and um, I think also in the 90s as a single woman, sure. even going to church, you were a bit of an outcast. Yeah. So there was that like rejection. There was a lot, a lot going on there. Um, and she was a, an artist and she was burnt out also shortly before going to the farm. Part of the reason that she went there was because she wanted to stop painting altogether and just have a break. Yeah. Um, but she ended up painting more than she had ever painted in her life. <laughs> sure. And Kala, do you think there were times, did you feel at all with your mom, that when you were in this environment, that she regretted her decision? There Was there a bit of regret at all? There was there like, oh my God, what have I done? We can't get out of here. Was there anything like that communicated? Wow. She was so sad. And I thought, if you're so sad, why do you stay here? But, you know, because of that religious influence, she was sad. And she thought it was, she was sad because God was doing a work in her soul. And because she wasn't good enough. And he, God was breaking her pride, etc., etc. Actually, she was crying because her soul was probably saying, set me free. Get me out <laughs> of here. Yeah. But she had stopped relying on her gut, which is what most of us do. But I find that, especially in that religious environment, you, you don't have so much faith in yourself, you know. Um, and that's kind of what happened. But never at all did she say, oh, it, while we were there, oh, I wish we hadn't moved here and this was a bad decision in all the 20 years. But obviously... She's left and I've left and now, of course, she has so much regret. I'm sure. I'm sure. And, how, and how has it affected your relationship in terms of her regrets? I mean, because she probably has deep shame about that. Yeah, I think deep shame. Yeah. I think, I mean, I'm ashamed for staying there. I could have left, I, you know, but I mean, when I was 18, I, I, I did leave. I went to stay with my dad. I thought I'd go study. But there was something that just kept pulling me back. I felt like if I don't stay there, if I don't go back there, God is going to curse me. That's like, wow. I felt like my life will be cursed. Um, even though everything in me wanted to leave. Like, I hated being there. But I felt like if I'm not there, I'm not doing what God wants me to do with my life. It was so, we were so brainwashed to mm. believe that anybody that left would not have God's blessing, would be cursed, would, things would go badly for them. And it was just in my mind so much. And I think because I had been in that environment so much, I didn't even know how to be in a normal, in normal society. I yeah. felt so lost, so alone. So you become you become dependent on that way of living because that's all you know. You've spent so many hours and so many days and you've seen so much and the language is the same language all the time. You become accustomed to that way of living and then you get removed. You know, you get cognitive overload. It's like I can't cope, can't cope. So you go back, you default back. Did you find did you find a lot of people left and came back? Wow. Yes, actually, now that I think of it, yeah. And a lot of people that left would, so 
that was interesting. Some people would leave, they would flee like in the middle of the night, running through the forest, even though there was no fence keeping us there, but it was just like the intimidation of having to say, I want to leave was overwhelming. Mm. And people obviously knew that, that somebody would say to them, oh, why don't you stay a bit longer, stay a bit longer. So some people just ran away. Some people left in the light of day and we would greet them and say goodbye, bless you. But they knew that as soon as they turn their backs, everybody's going to be saying, yo, what terrible people and oh, it's such a great shame, what pity. So people and were labeled. Some of the people that left tried to keep a relationship with the leadership, whatever, because I think even though you know it's not the right place for you, there's this element the whole time thinking, oh, what if I'm making the wrong decision? Yeah. What if God is going to curse me? So some people would leave and then still keep a bit of an open channel with the leaders and even come and visit. And, and of those people, often they would end up just coming back and living on the farm all over again. So a lot of people spent the majority of their lives there, it seems. A lot of people that were living there spent a, a large part of their lives in this environment. Yeah, a lot. You know, um, there was leadership, the main two people that started it, and then they had four, four guys under them that were married. And those four guys were actually originally in the army in Oatsworth. And there were these young, uh, young soldiers and... Um, they started joining a Bible study in Oatswin, and um, that's how they got into this whole thing. So you can imagine, they're fresh out of the army, yeah. and now they are in this organization, and some of them are still li living there. On wow. That I just find it fascinating how something like this has been, you want to use the word created, but how it, how it started. How did this whole thing start? When did the... You know, it started with one person, obviously two people, and it expanded to a whole community of people. So, how did it start? Yeah. How did it start? Well, I, I, only, I only know bits and pieces that I've heard. But um, basically, it was a couple that uh, lived in some southwestern Cape Town, and they became born-again believers. And um, they just felt that God was calling them to serve him and to be missionaries perhaps and they went traveling all over the world they sold their business went and traveled they stayed in um, a community also in uh, New Zealand they spent time in America in another community and I think it's probably and then they, they had a vision when they were in New Zealand that God was calling them to create a, a like a, a community of their own. Yes. Literally, they had this vision. Yeah. And they started it in Oatsworth. Um, they had one or two houses in Oatsworth in the Cape. And then eventually they moved like the, the great trek from Oatsworth all yeah. the way up to Zanin. How they had the money for all of this I have not a, not a clue. So I find it fascinating. So effectively, they were trained, you know, in these kind of other environments, and they obviously learned and saw and understood how it all worked. And then they replicated it. Do you think 
uh, and you know, this is a very personal question. Do you think that their motives to start this cult, effectively, uh, this Christian following, had a sinister taste to it? It was, it was to gain. It was to profit from it. It was, you know, did it start off like, because it, it always seems that it manifests into that long term, you know, down the line, there's money and there's like, you know, do you, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. And I can say without a doubt that the the guy, the leader, definitely has narcissistic traits. I mean, big time. And I, I don't think you can pull something off like this if you don't have a certain personality that's sure. comfortable with domineering and kind of twisting the truth for your own gain. But I don't think he thought oh, I'm going to create this cult and make a whole lot of money from people. I mm. think he really thought, I'm called and anointed and blessed by God Almighty. I'm so special and it's my life's mission to create this community of people. Mm. And I think as it unfolded, he saw more and more, oh, this could be quite lucrative. Yeah. But I, don't, I think he, he would tell himself all the time, oh, but it's for the good of the people. It's for the good of the the body of Christ, the the church at large, etc., etc. Um, but you know, the the thing about this group that we were, we weren't affiliated with any other church. We were non-denominational, and our calling was to minister not to the unbeliever, not to the non-Christians, but to the the church themselves. So we were like the priests unto the, the church. I, I mean. It sounds crazy, but it's like God had called us to pray for the church and to, Got you. to speak truth to the church, etc. But I, f I find this whole concept of, you know, and obviously the work that I do and people's running systems about beliefs and from traumas or bad experiences, how that can manifest in your own life. But what I find fascinating is how a little thing starts in the middle of nowhere in a beautiful part of the world. And it becomes this high-performing cult with high-performing people. You know, people with, with skill sets, lawyers, doctors, builders, engineers. Like, and, and, it, and this thing just take, took a life of itself. And it, 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 it seems to me on reflection and listening to your story when we spent that evening together that there must have been a grand plan because it just, it doesn't seem like it can take that shape. It just, it didn't... I mean, I understand the organic growth of something and stuff like that, but it just seemed like they learned something from an experience, you know, overseas, they had exposure to it, and they're right, okay, let's replicate this. You know, it seems to me from an outsider, and you may experience it differently, and by no means you have to agree with me, but it seemed that there was a plan, and the plan was executed, and the plan was successful. They, got, they attracted high-performing people to this organization. And no. no cult leader will ever acknowledge that they are leading a cult. I, I, they believe yes. that they are doing a great service to humanity. But it's so extreme. It's like, it's, it's beyond, it's like, 
it's a whole different way. It's a whole different belief system. It's a whole different approach. I mean, it is, it's, it's got its own set of rules. It's own, it's got its own life to itself, which is, which is, which seems to be, how does that take shape? How does that, does it just start and grow organically? And or, or were there principles of belief and the way they, their views on Christianity, did that change over time or was that kind of set from day one? Yes. You know, the Bible is very specific about how you should live your life and etc. etc. So it's all these Christian principles, but you can take it to one extreme, like to a great extreme or not. And certain things they took to great extreme. Yeah. And uh, and I think it's some things just got more and more extreme as time sure. went by. For sure. For sure, for sure. Um but yeah, it, the one thing, this organization was extremely patriarchal. I mean, men were up here and women were down there. Of course. And it's not like they would ever say it directly. Many of the rules were unspoken rules. It's just like you knew this is how you're supposed to act if you don't want to get in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm answering your question all the way. No, you are. I, I just, you know, and for the people that are watching, I just, it's just fascinating how, uh, you know, where, where there's a message and it's consistent and it's repeat. It's the same kind of conditioning, how people believe it, how people get completely dependent on this message, on this way of living, and they can't break away from it. And it shows you how powerful and actually how vulnerable we actually all are. You know, we're all very vulnerable, you know, with very vulnerable. Very vulnerable. And, and, and I, and I want to just go back to, and Kyle, if, if, if your arm gets a little bit tired from holding your phone up, you can, while I'm talking, try and find a little space for your phone. <laughs> okay. Yeah, shame. I, I'm I'm very conscious that your your hand is up there and it's probably going quite numb. <laughs> there we go. But what I find fascinating is the human mind and the human programming and how we can believe what we are taught. You know, if you believe that this is the way of living over and over and over again, you start to believe it. If you believe that you are limitless and you are enough, you also start believing that. So, but what I want to go back to. You're 12 years old, you know, it's, it's such an informative time in your life. It's such an important time in your life, you know, those things that you're learning and the way of living. It's like, it, it really, it really, um, it really inputs the way you are as a person. It has a direct effect on you long term. Yeah. How do you think with what you've been through? to how you are now, how have you managed to see things differently? Well, my one saving 
embraced was that I would go and visit my dad on the holidays. You okay. see, I think that helped a lot. So I had the input from just regular parents and then the input from this whole Christian community. And I think it, it, it did help me, you know. Um, but, I mean, after I left school, I hardly ever saw my dad anymore. But uh, it, it took a long time for me to feel like I'm a normal person once wow. I left the cult. Because so much of the way that I saw the world was, was programmed through the eyes of these people, you know, mm. and um, I don't know, it's, it, you know, the thing is, Simon, is that we weren't just all huddled on a farm and just stuck there for 20 years, we, yeah. were, we were part of the town, you know, the, we worked in Zanin, we had offices, we had an accounting firm, a, a law firm, a business park, there was a GP, um, with his doctor's rooms, we had a restaurant, we, we had people coming to the farm for Airbnb, and we had, uh, we hosted events, and so we were constantly being with regular, normal people, and, and it was, um, I used to call it pretending at life, because I would go to the grocery store, and I would stand there and buy my groceries, and I would always feel like, I look like everybody else, but they have no idea that I'm living this other life. Wow. Like, I was aware that I was living a completely different life. But I was also aware of how normal people live. Yeah. So, it's not like I left the cult, we left the cult and we had no idea how normal society worked. We did. We just didn't know how to fit ourselves into it, you know? Yeah. Um, when did so, you when did you start I, <clears throat> I went to school with a whole bunch of other people <laughs> um so so yeah it's it, it's more like when you leave this cult it's actually there was so much in me that wanted to go back because i felt so lonely and so lost um it was a big struggle i'm sure to, i'm sure because it's um, because it's scary, it's overwhelming. You don't know what's on the other side. You haven't experienced a different way of living. So of course it's going to be fearful, you know. It's natural to feel that. But, but you know, we'll get into your life and we'll get into your kids and your marriage and how you, you know, you're a family. You know, it's not just you who left, it's your family left. Okay, but how did they, how did they, how did, did you notice that the cult grew every year there were more people and what did you what was your observation and the people that were being attracted to the cult what what where were they recruiting their members they were recruiting them from all over wow um these people love to associate with like wealthy affluent people and so they had a lot of connections like that and um it was it was sometimes seen by chance that people would just rock up you know out of nowhere but um sometimes a lot a lot of people one person would join and then their family would come and visit and then a brother would join and then a sister would join and then a mother would join so there were a lot of 
Word of mouth. Word of mouth. <laughs> yeah, word of mouth. We also had um, volunteer programs like woofer and couch surfer and stuff like that, you know. So volunteers would come and some of them would end up staying. Not many. Most of them were like, oh, this is a crazy cult. I'm leaving. Yeah. But that's how some people... Um, and sometimes people would just come to visit, you know, or to, to maybe rent a cottage on the farm while there was maybe working at one of the local hospitals, locum, and then they'd end up staying. Yeah. And then a friend of them would come and visit, and the friend would end up staying. It was just really word of mouth like that. But it was a certain type of person, a useful person, that really stuck it out, or that was really encouraged to stick it out. If you had some useful skill, some money, or, or something like that to offer, then... You and you, they, they invested in those people. Those people with skill, with a skill set or a bank account. They invested by um, love bombing them. <laughs> there was no other investment. Really. <laughs> and making them feel safe, obviously as well. Making them feel safe and making them feel important and loved and cared for. And you, have you heard of the expression of love bombing? Oh yes, I have. Many times. I, it comes up a lot with my relationship clients. The old love bomb, the grenade. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's the method that they used. And I guess, I guess it was often strong, successful people, but maybe that had a little, little hole, you know, a little hole that needed to be filled or a little yearning for something more, a little bit of searching or just a tiny chink in the armor and they'd worm their way in there. Hmm. There were people from Denmark, Switzerland, America, um, all over the world, people from all over the world yeah. that they met on their travels because they traveled overseas all the time. So re um, recruiting or just living large? Recruiting and who knows what else, yeah. going on cruises. But it's it, it's it's fascinating, and how families sacrifice their lives to this cause. You know, they they spend ten years, twenty years. What you mean? The amount of time that you spent there was just it's mind blowing. That's you know a, a quarter of your life, a big part of people's lives are dedicated to this to this organization. Tell me about. Tell me about the, the energy of the, the community. Was it very, you know, was it a very, a very embracing community? Obviously, you had the, the language and the messaging of the Christianity and the beliefs and all that kind of stuff. But the way people were with each other, was it very um, community driven? Like you have to do everything together and you eat together and you play together. It's like... Which, was that quite a was that quite a pull to people to stay because of the sense of community? Yeah, I think so. Um, it was a very warm, embracing, vibrant community. Extremely beautiful place, stunning. Yeah. Artwork everywhere. Musicians, a full black band. Um. And, and nice people. I mean, we'd sit around the table every supper and there'd always be interesting conversation to yeah. have, you know. 
Um, and yeah, we but we did everything together. We watched TV together. We ate supper together. We prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, and prayed a lot together. There was obviously sleep deprivation as well. I mean, you know, there's these key points that make a cult and we ticked all the boxes. Tell me about that, the sleep deprivation. So, obviously, once again, I don't know that they thought, oh, let's sleep deprive the people. It's just, I don't know if they consciously thought this, but we would have prayer meetings oh, so often, like on a Saturday morning from 3 to 6 in the morning. What? And then on a, a Tuesday morning from 5 to 6, and a, a Thursday morning from 5 to 6, and then the men would pray from 2 to 3 on a Wednesday morning, and then there would be meetings, uh, Bible study meetings on Monday nights, and work nights on Tuesday nights, and then a movie night on Wednesday nights, and then fast. we would fast on a Thursday, have a fasting prayer meeting at the end of the day, then we would meet up after the fasting meeting, in little groups and we would talk about each other's children and parenting and family dynamics and kind of like pick each other's lives apart. Fridays was Shabbat, so we would have Shabbat meeting because, you know, we were kind of Jewish oriented, very pro-Israel. Um, and then sat, uh, and then that eventually changed because we became more busy with our restaurants. So the, the schedule started becoming kind of less meetings, more work, but so you get the idea. Every day had a pace and a schedule. And wow. Who was controlling the schedule? Who controlled so, the schedule? Sorry? Who controlled the schedule? Oh, the, the main leaders. Yeah. Okay. No one changed the schedule unless they said, oh, you know what, let's take a break today. Otherwise, it just went yeah. like clockwork. And the people that were the leaders, were they working as hard as well? Yes. Were, were the leaders working as hard as the rest of the community? No way. No, no. I mean, they would say they're working very hard organizing all our lives, and I'm sure that was a heavy burden to carry, to also, like, wangle this one and manipulate that one. I mean, it was like a game of chess they played all the time, putting one person against the other. They would use us to police one another. Mm. They wouldn't directly police us or be the bad guys. They'd be like, oh, you know, you should go person because I saw them doing this. And, oh, you should challenge this person not to be so besotted with their children. And you should tell that one that they love their food too much. And, like, picking little things all the time. It's called triangulation. Sorry? It's called triangulation. Oh, is that what it's called? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I mean, it's... But So there was definitely separation between the leaders and the rest of the community. There was like a divide. You know, we're here and you're here. You know, and it's, I just, the more I think about it, I mean, you obviously lived it. I mean, I just, I just find this whole thing very fascinating that how people, people can be programmed and conditioned mentally. Situation like 
Well, I can tell you this, that, you know, how can a, a person stand a relationship that's abusive? Exactly. You know, it's people that are living in lack. It's people that are living in victim, people living in scarcity. You know, they have the scarcity mentality. And, and that keeps people in that state, you know, and, 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 you know, whatever state you're in creates the story that you live. So that's why the more I think about it, and obviously you lived it, I didn't live it, but I just feel that the state was controlled so well that the story stayed consistent. You know, they kept you in the state. So the story remains consistent all the time. And that's abuse. You know, it's abuse. I mean, people in relationships that may be watching this or people that have even in business partnerships, you know, the, the story, the story that in your relationship keeps you in the state that you operate in and people get scared. You know, you, you become dependent, you know, you become dependent on this way of living because if you're not, who are you? You're unsafe. So it's this kind of you're safe here, but if you step out there, you're not safe. So what are you going to choose? Um, you know, and before, I, before, after our chat, I watched this documentary on Netflix, uh, which is around a cult, um, a bay, uh, I'm not sure the exact words, a bay, pray and stay sweet or something like that. Oh, yes. Fascinating. You know, fascinating. It, yeah, you, I'm, sure I'm, I'm sure for you it will resonate a lot to your experiences, but... Yeah, it, it, what's so tragic, uh, and, and you're on the other side now, which is wonderful, and, and, and you know, huge respect to you and Anton and, and the kids and, and, your, and your bravery to break free of that. Where, and we'll get into that if you, if you want to touch on that. But, you know, it takes a lot of courage, and I've got a huge amount of respect for you with that because when you only know one way, I mean, to take that leap, to take that step of faith, like, oh my God, I'm leaving, like, with nothing, with a family. I mean, wow, hats off, huge respect. So, yeah. you know, obviously a lot happened. How did you get to the point where you were like, that's enough, we're out of here? Yeah, so that's where the story gets interesting. <laughs> is getting drained from this so i'm gonna try sorry guys that's okay i'm just gonna try coming back here hopefully the reception is good enough the things we have to do in africa to search for signal how is it signal's great it's just that there's a bit of there's a bit of a friction with the sound you know um yeah one second one second take your time Let's just see who we've got on here. We've got Liesl, we've got Martin, we've got Tammy, we've got John, we've got Fleur, we've got Jill, we've got Amy, we've got Thomas, we've got With Love, Leo, we've got Anton, Becca, Divine Bing Mel, love your profile name. We've got the Ver Festival, can't wait to speak in a few weeks' time. We've got Gabby, Tammy, Amazing, got really a great turnout. So welcome guys and thanks for spending time with us while we just sort out the technical difficulties, the challenges of living in Africa with Signal. But uh, what a fascinating story and please feel free at any stage to comment below. Um, you may have some questions which I can see them coming through and I can ask, uh, ask Kyla. But 
you know, when I when I heard the story, I just thought it was so important to share because you know, because story creates state. Whatever story you're living creates the state that you operate in. And I think that's that's important for everyone that's watching this to realize that you know, whatever life you're living now and the, the, the life that you want to change or the story you want to change, you need to change your state. So hopefully, you know, this message and this live podcast gives you the courage to change your story, you know, um, to see how brave Kyla and Anton and the, and, and the family have been in, in stepping out into a different world that you may out there, whatever you're going through, you want to change your state, you can also do that. And it's going to give you the courage to do that because anything is possible. And um, yeah, it's just, it's a really inspiring story. And I think conversations are important. I think, you know, we, we need to share more and we need to have more conversations about people's lives because everyone has a story. You have a story. I have a story. Everyone watching here has a story. And, um, you, you know, your message can inspire so many people. And that's one of the reasons why I've been inspired to do this podcast with you is to help motivate people to change their story. Because you can. It is possible. Even, yeah. even after spending years and years and years of listening to the same messaging, you can change your state and you can change your story. So you're an inspiration, my girl. You can hear me, right? I can hear you loud and clear. I can hear you loud and clear. Okay, cool. <laughs> so, um, so what I was saying, what I was saying was, you know, let's 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 touch on the family, and and please, if there's something you don't want to discuss or you're not comfortable, say sigh. No thanks. I won't take offense, okay. and I'm sure the people watching here won't take offense as well. I know it's a very personal thing, and it's very sensitive. And um, so let's talk about what got you to the point where like, we're out of here. We're, we're getting out of here. Okay, well, um, basically, uh, one, of, one of the people were exposed to be a philanderer. Got you. And, um, and then it was more people. And I was also involved in that. Um, and Anton was also involved, and some people were innocent, some people weren't. I don't want to get into the nitty-gritty of You don't it, have to. Through all of that, it was terrible, but it's like suddenly people were just like, whoa, hang on a second, let's start asking some questions. And it was like an absolute snowball effect, and eventually it was this avalanche of anger and frustration throughout the whole community. Wow. And it was like people were freaking out, like this place is not as holy and perfect as we thought it was. And then they were saying, but where are our leaders? Where are our leaders? And then we discovered our leaders are on a cruise in the Mediterranean. <laughs> while the whole community is falling apart. And they're saying, no, we can't come home. We're just going to finish our cruise and we'll come. You guys will be fine. But people's lives were literally being, marriages were being torn apart. It was, it was Chaos. crazy. So when they realized, okay, these people aren't going to come help us when we're in crisis. Hang on. And how much did this cruise cost? 
And then they started looking at the finances, and it was just like within two weeks, everybody had turned on the leadership. Wow. Yeah. So it's not like I specifically am so brave and amazing because I left. I mean, 80% of the people left okay. over a span of six months. But Anton and I were some of the first people to leave, and we also weren't they didn't, some people didn't really want us there, whatever, whatever it was. So we basically just left on a bus, came to visit his parents. And then we still, we, we just got away because we knew, okay, we just need to get away. But we didn't know that we we're going to leave for sure. And once we were away, we thought, we can't ever go back to that place. Wow. That place is crazy. And we started reading things on the internet and I somehow started reading about cults because I'd heard somebody say something about a, a controlling organization or whatever. And then when I did that cult checklist, I could check every single thing on that checklist. And I thought, oh my God, I have been living in, in a, a cult. cult. Yeah. And and that's that's that. And well, I, we, we I, I just want to go back a little bit, and you know, you you you, you know, you, you discount the fact that you were courageous, and I, I I'm going to challenge you on that. Okay. <laughs> you know, when you're living in an environment like that, or living in an unstable environment where the messaging is consistent with control, whatever that may be, it can be in a relationship as well. Whether fifty people left, hundred people left, everyone left, you still left. You still had the courage to leave. And I think you, I think, you know, I, you, you're a very modest, very humble person, which, which is, which is so, such a wonderful thing about you. And I've also, I've picked that up with you very, very low key. And, but you should really celebrate the courage that your family has. Because, you know, I've heard lots of stories and I listen to many stories every single day with all my clients. And people discount what they go through. People discount yeah. what they, the energy and the, the power it, it takes to break free of that. Regardless of the other people, you did it. And I hope that you can find some capacity within yourself to actually just go, I did that. And that is yeah. incredible. So I'm sorry to downplay your... Your, your modesty and your kind of, you know, very under the radar. But you are an inspiration. And it's no shame in admitting that. You are in, you've yeah. inspired you, through your own journey and your own story. You can inspire people to also change their story. And that's important. And that needs to be celebrated. You know, yeah. a, few, uh, a few months ago, no, probably about a year ago, I did a podcast, Turn Your Mess Into a Message. You know, and I'm not saying you, I'm not saying yours is a mess, but it's very profound. It's very powerful that you have a message, and you can inspire yeah. people to change their state. So, sorry to disagree with you. I think you're an inspiration, and I'm sure the people watching here think you're an inspiration as well. Oh, I know that. And please, when you find some quiet time, smile up to the stars and give yourself a big, big, big warm hug for the courage that you have. So. Thank sorry to dis sorry to disagree with you on that one. So, I'm sorry, so I wanted to ask you. 
how does the cult survive financially? I mean, you guys were all paid. You had to, you, had, you know, you had to pay bills. Where did you generate your money from? How did you guys live? For me, that's also part of the mystery. Okay, so we were high performance. We worked very hard. We generated money. We had a carpentry workshop. My mom and another artist painted a lot. We had an interior painting business. We uh, had restaurants. And then obviously all the professional people like the accountants, the doctors, etc. they all pulled money into the community. We had a boarding school eventually as well uh, with outside children. Um, and a lot of people that joined, like my mom, for instance, just pledged all her life savings. People would pledge all their inheritance. Um, mm. And also the leader was very business savvy. I mean, he would buy properties and sell properties. And so I think he, he knew how to make money. Um, but I don't, I, I have a feeling that they got donations from people and other churches and never told us about it because they always said, oh, we'll never ask anybody for money. But I have a feeling that's what happened. Mm. But uh, I think with whatever we had, he was clever in in um, making the money grow. And obviously we're NGO, NPO, whatever. So we were sort of tax exempt and there was a lot of funny stuff happening there. Um, but did people earn different amounts? So the accountant yes, earned yes. more than the carpenter, for example. Well, yeah, sort of. I mean, the professional people, they obviously earned their own money and then they gave some money to the community. And then there were a lot of us that worked, but we didn't have our own businesses or anything. Um, and we would just get like a stipend every month just to tide us over. And like, for instance, uh, people would... You know, they would give different things to different people and they would pay people like Anton would go and work overseas a lot. That's also one thing that we did to make money and um, go and do work overseas, carpentry work for people that we knew or whatever. And then that so if, if people went away for a while and did big jobs like that, then they would maybe get like a little lump sum, like little carrots, something to just encourage them and make them feel good again but there were many months that people barely scraped by wow and as the community grew bigger it became more of an organization than a family so in the beginning it had a family feel and eventually it was so big and had so much momentum that i think the leaders were completely out of touch with the actual needs of the people and there were some people that were having to go and steal money from the ugh, steal money steal food from the main kitchen just to make sure they had enough food on the table. And that's, that's no lie. Um, wow. And then we'd, we'd hear like, oh, some food went missing from the cold room. And that poor person was sitting in, sitting there thinking, yes, I stole that to feed my children. So you, so you didn't eat, you didn't eat uh, individually. You ate as a community. At first we ate almost every meal together. And then as the community got bigger, fam families started getting their own homes and then we would only eat supper together. And then it became, we'd only eat some meals together. And eventually we were eating mostly in our own homes and having to cook and buy our own food. And um, when we weren't being supplied mm. by the community, we would get veggies and stuff from the vegetable garden. Um, and 
I don't know how some people had enough money to pay for food. It was always a. So they just they just kept you. They just had you. Just had enough. You just had enough, just to keep you like engaged. Just enough. Yeah. No savings. No. No extra anything. Um. And you know we. Everybody had to kind of live at the same level. So some people had more money and they had to hold back, and some people had hardly any money and they had to try and live up to people that had more money because it was just such a strange setup. Yeah. Nobody knew what the other person had. Yeah. Fascinating. None of us knew if if our neighbors getting ten thousand rand or two thousand rand. It's like you don't talk about finances. God will provide. So, how's life living normally? Well, if you want to call living normally, normally. But how, how's life for you now? How have you adjusted and how, how have you guys normalized? Well, you know what? There's, when, when we first left, I remember just savoring so many little things. I would savor the fact that I could get takeaway pizza on a Friday night and that I could sleep in on a Saturday morning or that I could go and buy a takeaway coffee whenever I wanted or that I could go for a walk on the beach or that I could bring my kids home after school and let them watch cartoons or that I could learn how to drive. I, I didn't know how to drive. or There were so many little silly things. I could go to the hairdresser. I could color my hair any color I wanted if I wanted to. I could um, go for a run. I could go for a jog. There were so many little things that I was never able to do. How did that and feel? How did, It felt like a little celebration every day. Wow. It was just so exciting. Every aspect of life was just so exciting all the time. I remember when Anton came home with a beer. He had bought a beer and he felt so guilty going to the bottle store and we had a beer and it was so liberating and it was like all these little things um yeah and so eventually that wears off the novelty wears off and you realize i need to get i need to find fulfillment in this life because obviously we had found fulfillment in this Christian church environment, we were praying, worshipping God, and that was our purpose, and then we left, and our fulfillment was discovering new things and enjoying our freedom, and so I think that was the next hurdles, like, okay, so what does life mean, and what do I really want to do, and what do I really enjoy, and we've built a house now, and what's the next thing, and yeah, I mean that's how I came across yoga. I think has that been a big? Has that been quite? Has that been quite scary for you, as you've normalized? Yeah, it has. It has. Um, and you know, I still miss. I still miss the people. I miss some of the people so so very mm. much. And finding your tribe, you know, I, I have some very dear friends that I've made that have seen me through thick and thin and, but it's, it's, um, it's a challenge to find a tribe. And I, I'm sure that a lot of the other people that have left or anybody that's left the cult, it's the most difficult thing is to actually find people that you can relate to, yes. that you can open up to. 
took a stance of, I'm just going to talk about this openly and just tell people, I'm, I'm not going to hide anything. This is my experience. This is who I am. But I think a lot of people maybe have shame and they think I can never be totally truthful with people that I meet. Um, yeah, so... I'm sure. I'm sure it's a big adjustment. You know, it's a it's a huge change. It's a change of living. Your friendships are changed. Your structures change. Your routine. Obviously, your belief systems have changed. And it's yeah. and it and and I think you, you know, when you go through such change. You know, life is life is asking you to step up. Life is asking you to take on the challenge of life. And life is hard. Life yeah. is difficult. And there's no absolutes. And and being happy and being balanced is serious business. It's a it's a hard business to remain in that state. But, yeah. you know, I hope that through our evening and our chat that you keep inspiring yourself. Because you have huge capacity with what you've been through. On every single level of your life, you've experienced massive change. Friendships home environment, income, everything is different. Mm. And there's huge power in that, you know, and there's huge, don't ever fall into doubt or fear because you have lived life, really lived life, and you've lived changes. And people that have been through change and have been through say certain chapters of their life and then they go into a new chapter you can at times turn your back walk back into your future looking at your past you know Mm. but you shouldn't you know just just expand that energy of inspiration for yourself because you have you and anton and your family massive capacity look at what you've achieved you know that's why that's what i found with your story it really resonated with me you left with nothing Zero. Like, you know, scrambling to like get a bus. You know, and then I come into your home that you've built yourself. You know, you've built this home. And it's like, it's incredible. You just take that in itself. You know, the, yeah. the, the process to get to that place, to now have your basic needs met, have a base for yourself, have a home, which... You're very lucky you've got a talented husband who's good with his hands. Yeah, but exactly. <laughs> but you've, you've come from nothing to building a home. It's like, it's incredible. You know, mm. and, and I find such, I think. But that's manifestation, hey? Yes, but also, you know, Carla, manifestation I mean, can get crushed with fear. Yeah. You know. And, and, and living in a life with abundance and having abundance in your life takes trust. Yes, you need to have like big trust. Yeah. You need huge trust. But mm-hmm. to just see your story, you know, and, and, and you know, that, that evening we spent together and our spending some time together and just like even the little wins that you have, you've built a home. Regardless of your backstory, you've built a home with your hands. Like Anton's hands have built this home. You've created a beautiful environment. And then you've got the story. And you've started on this back foot. And I'm sure at times, because of what you've been through, and because it's so much change, you may 
naturally fall into doubt and fear and that's the process of healing and healing is you know healing is like a it's like a it's like a tumble dry it spins you know it's you get better you get bad you get better you get bad and eventually it'll stop and you healed but you know i hope people that are watching this that are that have built up the courage to change their relationship to change their state to change their business to change themselves physically realizing that change is not linear it doesn't just go like that mm. it's a spiral exactly. it's a spiral and it and your story you know i hope the main takeaway for people today is it is possible even when you are living in an environment that you're controlled by not one person multiple people you can break yeah. free anything is possible you are limitless mm-hmm. and you can create a life with abundance and you can manifest a life of your dreams it's possible mm-hmm. and you're proof of that and i think yeah. you know please continue your message continue to share your experiences because all i know from the work that i've done on this limited time that i've had this experience of being me is keep sharing your story you will not you'll be surprised at how many people you'll touch and how many people you will motivate to go i'm fucking changing kyla did it she left with nothing she's got it i'm gonna do it now i'm gonna do it so you know and 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 the sense of you know i know you've got a blog and we'll tell people where to find you after this and you know, can tap into your stories and understand the story more in detail and your own personal journey. But please, you know, celebrate yourself. Like I've got, I've got major respect for you. You know, I really do, and I and I mean that. I've got huge respect for you, and I'm very fond of Anton, and you know, I love riding motorbikes with him as well. But just like fucking, like really fair play to you guys, and and I watched you, you know. You guys came overseas and you did a little trip around Europe. I can just see on your faces. It's just like, it's like seeing the sea for the first time. Yeah. It's just, I could see the energy of your experience was so like, wow, like, there's a train. Like, fucking, there's, it's just like little things were so exciting for you. And we get so caught up in life, don't we? Yeah. We get so muddled up. We get so distracted and we mm. we live a story that creates our state yeah and you are living proof that you can change that for sure and you need to keep inspiring people please yeah thanks man i i, I just wanted to say one thing i think it's so important to acknowledge what you've gone through and to really take the good because if you just look at your experiences, even if they were traumatic, and only take the bad, you will be a victim. And I think that's what I've learned is that I I've learned so I've had wonderful experiences within this experience, and I've learned so many deep lessons. Yes. And I can take them with me. It's like and and accepting that I am who I am and. Part of the reason I am who I am is because of what I've gone through. So sure. it's it's actually okay. And yeah. And I had to come to a place where I thought I'm not going to be a victim. I'm gonna. And it sounds cliche, but I think for all of us, we ha- we get to that place where we think 
okay, I'm not going to be a victim. I'm going to celebrate my past and see what the future holds because yeah. also a shout out because I see there's some people I know that will also add a lot that are on here and hi guys. <laughs> and I think our experiences have made us extremely resilient. Of course. Um, of course. So I just want to encourage yeah. You know, often yeah. often at times when you've gone through trauma or we've gone through something very difficult or whatever capacity you've gone through that difficult experience, yeah, we can become victims. You know, poor me and why is this happening to me? And listen, I put my hand up. I can be <laughs> fucking I I can be captain victim at times. <laughs> But it's just acknowledging the fact that you can change that and it is yeah. possible. No matter what you go through, no matter what life has thrown you and in your experience as being this human, that you can change your story. You really can change your story. And, you know, especially the fact that, you know, you had, there were so many variables in your, in your situation. There was, the leadership, there was the community, there was dependence financially, there was dependence on your home, having a home. It's like you were so dependent, like the chances of you yeah. getting out of that environment were pretty much zero. Mm. You know, you would have stayed your whole life there. Obviously, there was that fracture that was caused with the infidelity and that fracture caused caused some change, which, which inevitably led you guys to flee and, and leave. But... It's just, you know, I, I do think about your story quite a bit, um, especially working with clients that are dealing with whatever story or whatever state they're in and realizing that you can do a lot more. You have got limitless capacity to handle so much more. We have huge capacity as human beings, but yet at times we don't think we've got that capacity. But as we come to the end of our end of our time together, how have your kids adjusted? Let's talk about the kids. The kids? Yeah. <laughs> well, they actually adjusted so well. I mean, literally people have said, oh, you have such well-adjusted children. They're fantastic boys. And yeah. I would think, what? This cannot be possible. Yeah. I even took them to psychologists and I, I wanted her to make sure they don't have some deep hidden trauma I don't know about. And she said, these kids are, are great. Yeah. And I I am just grateful for my children. I think God knew I needed these children. Yeah, it's <laughs> but, amazing. Um, so so I think actually they, they did adjust very well. And then once Anton and I evened out about a, a three three years after we moved here, my youngest son just started freaking out going to school and and um eventually we decided to homeschool him and i think what happened was he was just like okay you guys have had your turn now it's my turn to break down just to just to i need i need to also have mm. the wheels come off and sure. I think because our kids grew up in such a rigid structured environment he said mom i just want to be at home i just want to be at home with you i don't want to have to go anywhere at any mm. time and um, so we homeschooled them and they're so happy again. So yeah. um, I think it was very hard for them at first. I mean, they they cried, they missed the farm, they missed their friends. But kids are so 
resilient. They are. Bounce like anything. They are. And I think just being able to be free and not be in trouble all the time and have mom and dad around more, they, they were just so happy to be living their new life. Well, it's a time. It's at times like that, especially you know, a lot of my work is with kids. You know, it's kind okay. of it's a niche. I, I work with a lot of youth, teenage clients, and it's very important to the parents that are watching this to remain calm. Yeah. To stay calm when a child is going through something. Remain calm. Remain consistent. Keep the message the same. But I also encourage that kids need to suffer, you know? They need to go through some kind of difficulties in their life to understand what, what's, what they're capable of, what capacity they have. Obviously, providing a safe, nurturing environment is important, but, you know, this cotton wool kind of band-aid, helicopter parenting, you know, you're just doing your child a disservice. Maybe that's a, another live with Sai. I can talk about that. It's another live. I've got to be careful. I'll, I'll offend a few people, but I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to share a message. But, um, you know, it's, you know, one thing is, is having the courage to remain calm when, when a child is freaking out is yeah, it's it's strength because it's your blood. It's, your, it's a part of you. You don't want to see your child suffering. You don't want them to go through difficulties. It's just natural for you to like try and protect, protect, protect. But well done for remaining calm and and you know I've I've met your boys and they're very well balanced, fantastic manners, and uh, very well adjusted. Just great kids. Look, it's a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> but but just as we come to a close, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for for sharing this message with. Uh, with the people that follow me and to the people that have joined in the live, thank you so much for for listening and sharing space with us. Um, you really are an inspiration. I hope that you can continue your message to people to because you don't know who you can help. You may help one person completely change the trajectory of their life. So keep yeah. doing what you're doing. But where can people find you? Where can people sign up to your blog? Tell us. I think you should just tell people live now. Just tell people where they can find oh, okay. you. Well, I have I have two blogs. Uh, the one is called Winging It For Real. If you just type Winging It For Real, then Love it. you'll find it. Okay. That's the blog that I started just as I left. It was almost like a journal for me. And then the other one is uh, called Alon Farm, The Story Unfolds. Got you. Um, there's... There's free content, but there's also paid content on there. And that's kind of like my personal story in a sort of a timeline. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, what you can do is maybe share it to my story and I'll repost it on my stories for you. Okay, cool. Wonderful. I'll do that. But, uh, and tell me just before we start, or just before we end, not start. Yes. <laughs> how's the yoga going? When are you available to do some classes? Right. that people are really interested in so 
next week, if anybody's in the area, Monday and Wednesday from 5 to 6, okay. we'll be having class. And that is not in uh, the UK. That is in the Garden Route just outside Mossel Bay. For the... <laughs> but thank you so much for your time. Sending you love and blessings and uh, wishing you all... All the best, really. Um, your story is an inspiration, and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed our time together. Me too. Thanks so much, Sai. It's okay. always great chatting to you. It's a pleasure. Stay well. Have a good evening, and love to the family and uh, and Anton I as well. Will. Okay. Cheers, man. Ciao. Bye. Bye, bye, guys.